Hi, I'm Victoria Verdick. My family and I have been covenant members at Cross Point since January. Today's scripture reading is from Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15 in the CSB translation. Let's hear God's word. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, if I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law, you who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly await through the Spirit, by faith, the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens a whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord. You will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Kent. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm the youth and college pastor here at uh, Crosspoint. It's a blessing to have each and one of you here with us worshiping God this morning. Well, to begin this sermon, I'm going to give you uh, three scenarios, and I'm going to need some audience participation on this. I want you to raise your hand if you think freedom is present in uh, each scenario. So to help you discern, uh, there should be a definition of freedom from Oxford Dictionary on the screen. Uh, the, the definition reads as this, freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Freedom is often associated with liberty, autonomy, and the sense of giving one's, oneself one's own laws. That's the definition from Oxford Dictionary. So I'll start off with an easy scenario. Scenario number one, a large group of people are gathered together peacefully without any interference. Is freedom present? If you think so, raise your hand. Yep. Pretty easy. Scenario number two. A man walks into a business to buy a product that he really enjoys, but it's found out that the business owner has opposing religious views than the man, than the customer, and this results in the owner refusing to serve the customer. Is freedom present? Raise your hand if you think so. Okay, a little bit more conflicting, yeah? Last scenario, a man and a woman are placed in a garden with many fruit trees. They are told they can eat the fruit from any tree except one. Is freedom present? Raise your hand if you think freedom is present, okay? Aside from the first scenario, if you take the definition that Oxford gave uh, at face value, one can make a case that freedom is somewhat restricted in the second or third scenarios. There's something that's inhibiting the person to do whatever they want 
uh, and whatever they desire. Freedom, by this definition, is dependent on what a person wants or what they desire. The self defines freedom. And when this happens, uh, I think you can see that there's some difference of opinions. You see this a lot in society. You see people standing up for what they think are their deserved rights and freedoms based on their own wants and desires. But in this way of describing freedom, it's very contrary to how the Bible describes freedom. When addressing the topic of Christian liberty, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through chapter 11, verse 1. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. In this teaching about Christian freedom, Paul uh, focuses on outwardness. He, he, he has a focus on always glorifying God and serving others, not seeking his own benefit. It's not self-seeking. It's other-oriented. The late pastor Warren Wearsby says this about freedom. Freedom does not mean that I'm able to do whatever I want to do. This is the worst kind of bondage. Freedom means that I have been set free to become all that God wants me to be, to achieve that all that God wants me to achieve, and to enjoy all that God wants me to enjoy. This quote points back to the passage that we read in 1 Corinthians, that our freedom is meant to be used to live out a purpose as humans, our purpose for living. And that purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If someone asks you, hey, what is the purpose of humanity? The answer is always to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. This is going to be a theme throughout our sermon today, our passage that we were reading. So I need you guys to understand this. So what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to say what is the purpose of humanity. And the response should be to glorify God and to join forever. Okay, so let's try it. Ready? What is the, what is the purpose of humanity? By God to join him forever. Thank you for participating in my comment on my notes. I said, audience, hopefully will say this. And you guys did great. So thank you. This morning, we're going to be looking how our purpose as humans is connected with biblical freedom. And then we'll talk about what it looks like to live a life that is free in Christ and how we can go about celebrating our freedom in Christ. So first, let's look how our purpose as humans is connected to biblical freedom. We'll start with asking ourselves this question, where is freedom first mentioned in Scripture? Where is freedom first mentioned in Scripture? If you would, take your Bibles, open them up to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Book of Genesis chapter 2, meet me there. Now as you flip there, I just want to put chapter 2 into context real quick. You know, God has just finished creating humanity at the end of chapter 1. Verses 26 through 27 of chapter 1 say this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. 
Now, before we jump into chapter 2, I just want to focus on this phrase, uh, God created man in in his own image as it sets this stage for freedom. This phrase, God created man in his own image, is something that separates us as humans from the rest of God's creation. Being made in the image of God means that, one, we are created to reflect who God is. Just like how a picture is an image or reflection of a person, but is not actually the person themselves, but it's just representation of that person, we as humans are called as to be representatives of God on earth. Or in other words, you could say we're created to glorify God. Our actions, our attitudes are supposed to point back to who we're trying to reflect. The second thing that being an image of God means is that we are created as a spiritual being. A spiritual being that can relate with God. Just as God is a spiritual being, we are made in the likeness of God that we too are spiritual beings. We are not just purely physical creatures. There is a spiritual component to our makeup as humanity. It's this spiritual component that allows humans to commune with God or to have a spiritual connection. It's how we relate to God. It's how we can be in a relationship with God. Or in other words, you could say, it's how we can enjoy God. Hopefully you see how you and I are created as humanity, and that uh, being created as such gives us the purpose to glorify God and to enjoy Him. Now, that's what happens at the end of Genesis 1. Now, let's go into Genesis 2. We see God is placing man in the Garden of Eden, and he tells him this in verse 16 of chapter 2. Chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 16 says, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you eat it, you will certainly die. This is where freedom is first mentioned in Scripture. Did you see it? Verse 16. You are free to eat from any of the trees of the garden. Humanity was free. But free to do what exactly? Free to follow God's commands, which allowed them to live out their purpose of glorifying God and enjoying Him. At the same time, they weren't forced to follow God, though. They had the option to choose disobedience, but they also had the freedom to live out their purpose in being created. Now, we know later in the story that Adam and Eve uh, do, in fact, choose to disobey God in Genesis 3, and that choice came with world-changing consequences. Consequences of, of them choosing their sin... And, and sin being brought into the world is this. One, sin brings the penalty of death. We see this in Genesis 3, verse 21, as God kills an animal to make a covering uh, to clothe Adam and Eve. Now, this points to the future Old Testament sacrificial system um, where uh, we see later in the Bible. We see that death is present to provide a substitute and a covering for the sin of humans. The second thing uh, that's a consequence of sin is that sin has power to influence humanity. We see this in Genesis 3 as well. In verse 16, if you keep reading, uh, that sin not only caused outward pain, 
but our attitudes and desires would be influenced by sin as well, causing inward pain and struggle. The third thing, the third consequences of choosing sin for Adam and Eve is that sin causes humanity now to be separated from the presence of God. We see this in Genesis 3 again at the end, as God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, out of the physical presence of God. And instead, in reality, instead of bringing true freedom, which is the freedom to live out our purpose as humanity, sin rather brings bondage and chains as we choose to only fulfill our sinful flesh craving and, and our cravings again again and again, only bringing pain, hurt, and eventually death. These consequences of sin, this bondage of sin has been with humanity ever since the first sin of Adam and Eve. This is seen throughout the Old Testament, starting with the next chapter in Genesis 4, as we see Cain killing, murdering his brother Abel. Later we see sin so rampant that God has to destroy all of humanity except for Noah and his family a few chapters later. And then further later in the Old Testament, we see God choosing Israel to reveal himself to the world, to to tell them what it looks like to live out their design purpose, to glorify God and to enjoy him. And they were supposed to be an example. But what ends up happening is Israel looks like the rest of the world around them. Instead of being separate, pointing to God, they look like everyone else around them who don't even know God. And in this, we see that the law that God gave them could have never saved them. It served as a purpose to expose the sin and to hopefully point them to God, to show them how to live out their purpose of life, but the Israelites failed to do this. They failed to uphold the law. They rejected God. And they ended up in exile for it. It looked like Satan was going to disrupt God's design for humanity. It looked like sin would forever break humanity from God. And then at the right appointed time in history, God the Father sent Jesus, God the Son, to earth. Jesus Christ changed everything. Jesus gave humanity freedom from the penalty of sin. In the Gospels, we read that Jesus lived a sinless life, the perfect atoning sacrifice for the, to, uh, to atone for the sins of the world. He died on the cross, being cursed for us, dying our death, what we deserved as punishment for our sins. Jesus took that on himself. And because he took the penalty for our sin, if we trust in him as our personal Savior and Lord, then we will be saved from that penalty of our sin. And God will forgive us our debt because Jesus has paid the price. Romans 10, 8 through 10 say this, this is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're here this morning and you've not yet surrendered your life to Jesus, if you have not confessed Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord of your life. Today can be the day of your salvation. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. And if you don't know what that looks like or what that means, if you have any questions, please talk to someone. 
talk to a neighbor, talk to a friend, talk to a pastor or elder. We would love for you to know, to understand, and believe the gospel of Jesus. The second thing that Jesus gave humanity when he uh, died on the cross and atoned for our sins is that he gave and, and was rose from the dead. Jesus gave humanity freedom from the power of sin. When each person puts their faith and trust in Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit dwells in their soul, giving that person the power of overcoming sin. Romans 8, 6 through 11 say this, Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile toward God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Now, this simply means that uh, we, when we are tempted, we don't have to choose our own sin. We don't have to say yes to every uh, uh, flesh desire that we have. We have the power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to our sinful flesh and to say yes to glorifying Him. The third thing Jesus gives humanity is the freedom from the presence of sin. For the believer, we are promised that after this earthly life, uh, that we will have an eternal life without the presence of sin, as we will be in the very presence of God. Romans 8, 18 through 21 says this, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. For creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay it uh, into glorious freedom of God's children. I know for those who are believers, we long for that day. That is our hope. That is what we are waiting for, is for one day to be in the presence of God without having to deal with the presence of sin. By having the freedom given by Jesus Christ as believers, we can live out our purpose truly and fully as glorifying Him and enjoying God forever. Once unable to live out our, our purpose, because, but because Jesus died and rose again, believers now can glorify and enjoy God to the fullest. This alone is enough to cause us to celebrate. This truth should cause us to worship God. This truth should cause us to live a life that is free in Christ. Now, this leads to ask, what does this look like, though, Kent? What does it look like to live a life free in Christ? To answer this, let's turn to chapter 5 of the book of Galatians real quick as we close. Chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 1, says this, For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm, then. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you yourselves get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to you, every man who gets himself 
circumcised that he is obligated to do the entire law. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. For we eagerly wait through the Spirit by faith in the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Now, what Paul is addressing to the people of Galatia is this idea that uh, people were trying to justify themselves uh, by following the law of Moses, which circumcision is uh, required. In other words, uh, people were trying to uh, see if they could earn God's favor uh, by doing certain works in their life. Paul says to the Galatians that if uh, someone uh, tries to justify themselves by their good works, that, um, that they have failed to apply the truths of the gospel in their lives. Because the truth of the gospel is I don't have to try to just, justify myself before God based on uh, my own efforts. I stand justified before God because of what Jesus did on the cross. For believers, Jesus has freed us from the penalty of our sin. And it's then when we can appear righteous before God, not standing condemned, but rather standing innocent. Innocent from our sin. So therefore, I don't have to live trying to gain my approval of God. Instead, I, I realize that I'm already approved by God. And that approval is based on my identity in Christ so that I can live freely instead of going through life worried about if my actions have tipped the scales to finding favor in God's eyes. I can rest because my identity is in Christ because he's paid the penalty for my sin. Now, to illustrate this, I want to share a story. Uh, this past spring, uh, I was involved in a coach's study at Eureka College. Uh, multiple coaches. I was the only basketball coach that was there for this training specifically. And uh, we, we did some competitions. They were teaching us how to do sports God's way. It was run through FCA. And uh, as we're uh, doing this training, um, the instructor uh, had us do a shooting competition. This was on, on the basketball court. I said, great. I'm like one of the only basketball coaches here. I should have uh, an advantage. Uh, I should help our team to win. So there's a student competition, you had two teams, and you see who can make the most baskets from a certain distance, right? Fairly simple. Uh, we did it the first time, go around, till we hit the target that we needed to. Um, I think our team won that one. And then the instructor said, we're going to do it again, but losing team has consequences. The losing team has to do, I think it was like 30 push-ups or something like that. Okay, so we line up. We're doing this again, and in my mind, before he says go, I'm thinking... I cannot let my team down. I'm the only basketball player coach here. All the other ones, that's not their sport. I gotta perform good. I don't want to do push-ups right now, frankly. There's a level of pressure that was on me because I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to face the consequences of, of not succeeding. Competition starts. Lo and behold, my team loses. I feel guilt. I feel shame. I feel embarrassed. I let my team down. Yeah. 
just before the instructor, the instructor then told us to do push-ups, he said, you know, what were you feeling? What were you experiencing as you were shooting during the second round when you knew that there was a consequence if you didn't win? I told him, I was like, hey, there was a lot of pressure. I felt it. He said, would you have felt that same pressure if I told you that the other instructor was actually going to do your push-ups for you? No, not at all. Lo and behold, we didn't have to do push-ups. The other instructor went down and did the push-up set. For him, it, it was a little bit more difficult for him to do push-ups. But watching him, him do that for me, taking what I should have done and substituting himself for me, was a really good picture. At the end, the, the, our first instructor said, you know, if you knew that was going to happen, would you have played the competition more freely? Oh, yeah. Hands down, completely. I use this illustration because I, I think some of us can relate to this as we, as we go through life. Uh, some of us um, struggle with perfectionism just a little bit, maybe. If I had to guess, there's some of us in, in here this morning that, um, yes, that um, we, we want to be perfect. We don't handle losing or failing well at all. I know some of us, if, if we're in a sport, students, we don't want to lose. We don't like losing, right? We want to win. Winning is our, our goal. School, maybe you're a student. You don't like getting below a certain grade level. Your goal is to get a high grade level, and if you fail, you feel it. There's this pressure to get a certain grade in, in a certain class. Maybe, you know, today's the family service, so I don't know, children, I don't know if you feel this. I, I struggled with this growing up, that I felt like I had to be the perfect child, that I couldn't let my parents find out if I failed, if I sinned. It was hard for me to be vulnerable. So I don't know if any of you feel that. I'm just assuming maybe I wasn't the only one. On the flip side, maybe you're here and you feel like you have to be the perfect parent. As a father of a four-month-old baby, I can admit, be honest with you, I have felt at times that if Mabel is crying or doing something that's causing her pain, I have failed and I have to do everything in my power to stop it right then and right now. So I'm, I'm just guessing I'm not the only one here when, who has kids that at times you wrestled with, I have to be perfect as a parent. Maybe it's being the perfect coworker. Maybe you put this pressure on yourself that I can't let any of my teammates down. That there's a certain guilt and shame when something doesn't go right that you're a part of at work. You don't handle that well. That in your mind, like, I have to be perfect as a coworker. Now, the reality is, is that there'll be good days. Things, days when things go really well, right? There'll be days when things don't go that well. There'll be times when you're winning and times when you fail, when you fall short, times when you sin. And it's when we're struggling that it's easy to feel guilt, shame, depressed. And the truth is we all struggle. It just looks different for each people, for each person. It looks different for each person, but we all struggle. Even if a person looks like they have their lives all together, 
that they're living the perfect life on the outside. The reality is they're struggling inwardly. Why? Because we all still battle sin. We still battle our flesh. Even though as believers, for those who are believers in the room, we have been freed from the penalty, freed from the power of sin, but until our earthly lives are over, we still struggle with the presence of sin in our lives and in our world. It's in these struggles that we need to remind ourselves of our identity in Christ, our, remind ourselves the truth of our reason for joy, to remind ourselves our freedom in Jesus, that he's paid the penalty for our sins. We don't have to justify ourselves. We are justified by Christ. He has paid the price for our freedom. Now, what does this mean? Now, now, does this mean that we are free to do whatever we want to do because we know our penalty has been paid for? The Apostle Paul would say, by no means. Remember, earlier we saw that freedom is not doing whatever we want to do, but rather freedom is having the ability to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And so if we continue reading in Galatians 5, we actually see Paul addressing this very issue that, hey, you're not free than just to do whatever, you're free to glorify God. So let, let's, let's do that. Let's act like that. So if we continue reading Galatians 5, 16 through 18 real quick. Galatians 5, 6, 5, 16 says, I say then walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. See, if you've confessed Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, and the Holy Spirit resides in your soul, this means that you have the power to say no to sin and to say yes to glorifying God and to enjoying Him. And by doing so, you and I live out our purpose that we have been given by God. But if I'm being honest, I don't know about you, I don't know about me, but sometimes... Way too often, we forget this, that we have this power within us. We see something we desire, and we go for it. We see something that we think will bring us joy outside of Jesus, and we consume it. We see something that we think will satisfy us more than, than being in a relationship with God, and we go seeking after that thing or that person to fill that expectation where only God can truly satisfy us. And when we're aware of these struggles, these, these temptations, this, this sin in our lives, we must remind ourselves that just because I have a desire doesn't mean I need to always fulfill that desire. The primary thing that should be my focus is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So when we're tempted with sexual sin, with gluttony, with laziness, greed, gossip, jealousy, outbursts of selfish anger, substance abuse, selfishness, or any idols of our heart that we can wrestle with. We as believers have the power by the Holy Spirit to say no to our sinful flesh and to say yes to glorifying God and enjoying Him. 
We don't do this to justify ourselves before God or to gain God's approval. We're already justified through Christ. We strive to do so because we want to live out our purpose because of what Jesus has done for us. Now this morning, we're going to take time and and take communion, and communion reminds us of the sacrifice that Christ, uh, of Christ's sacrifice, that he died on the cross. It reminds us that our penalty has been paid for, the freedom that we have in Christ from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and someday the presence of sin. It reminds us that that price was paid. The wafer and and the juice that uh, we partake symbolizes his body and his blood. And as we partake in the elements, it reminds us that believers are united together as a church in Christ. It reminds us that our lives are not meant to be lived for our own desire, but to submit to Christ in everything in order to glorify God. And so we invite you this morning to, to partake with us, but if you don't feel comfortable, feel free to pass the elements. And communion, I just, I just want to add this, is, is for the believer, for the person who confesses Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so we ask, if you haven't done that, be honest and just pass the elements down the row. Because we want people who have made that confession of faith to identify with Jesus, to live that out, and to see the body come together as a church. And so we'll take a few moments for reflection as the elements are being passed. When the elements are all passed out, we'll uh, take, uh, come back together and we'll take the elements together. So have a couple moments of reflect and then we'll, we'll uh, take them together. Thank you. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. For the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. When he gave thanks, broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the wafer. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink the juice together. God, we thank you. Thank you for these moments that we can slow down, we can pause, we can reflect we can remember your sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection three days later. God, we remember uh, that you have set us free, that we are no longer condemned if we are in you, if we are believers. And God, that is a reason to celebrate. And so we thank you. We thank you and praise you for that reality, that we can freely Uh, glorify you, that we can enjoy you in relationship, that that is the thing that gives us the most joy. God, and so as we continue this service, I pray that we would just have this attitude of praise, an attitude of thankfulness, an attitude that just worships you for who you are and your love for each one of us. God, we love you and we serve you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.